Hey, good morning, everybody. All right. Sounds like you're in school or something, man. Good morning, everybody. All right. We're ready to go. Hey, this morning we're going to be starting a new series, just a two-week series uh, entitled Hope's Two Daughters. Uh, So we're going to be looking at at this series for the next two weeks, then I'm really excited to share with you guys that we have the general superintendent of Tanzania coming on September 27th. He's going to be coming and sharing with our church. Now, you guys are not going to want to miss that Sunday. It's, a, it's going to be an amazing Sunday. Um, it was the only Sunday he was coming. I, I kind of told the story a few weeks ago. And this gentleman, he was one of the keynote speakers at the 100th anniversary of the Assemblies of God. I mean, this, is, this guy is going to be phenomenal. His name is Dr. Barnabas, and he is going to be fantastic. So we're excited to have him. So plan on being here. If you've got a friend that's interested, excited about missions, uh, tell them to either listen in online or uh, be here that Sunday. It's going to be a great Sunday. So we're excited uh, about that event that will be coming up September 27th. Why don't we open our hearts and pray this morning? Would you, uh, would you just pray with me so that we can just be prepared for what God would have for us this morning? Heavenly Father, we just uh, bow our hearts in this moment, and God, we ask that you would, um, you would begin to speak to us through your word, and God, our hearts would be prepared, challenged, and changed, so that God, we could walk from this room, so that some way, somehow, someone might come to know Jesus through our lives, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Why did God create human beings to get angry. I mean, for real. If you're, if you're molding, and God knows everything, so I, I mean, I'm not challenging him on this, but if you're molding a human being and you start pulling out love and kindness and joy and all of these things, and you get to the end of the, end of the shelf and you go, hmm, anger. I, w- I wonder if he ever second-guessed himself and thought, should I really put this in there? I mean, I'm not really sure that this is a really good idea. But for some reason, God in that moment poured anger into the makeup of human beings. I mean, wouldn't there be a lot less problems in the world today if anger wasn't one of the emotions that was inside of us? There would be, right? We think about wars and all of the things that are happening. We, we sit there and think to ourselves, we go, God, why, why, would you, why would you in the makeup of a human being allow for that empty space of anger to be resonant in every person in this room? Why don't you raise your hand if you don't struggle with anger in any way? <laughs> all right? You know, you think about how powerful anger is. It causes us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. It causes us to say things that we wouldn't normally say. Anger can fill us with an inner power like very few things in this life. It is a strong emotion. Anger is a powerful thing that's harnessed in the heart of every single believer as well as unbeliever. But anger kind of has a bad reputation. We immediately think of sinful anger when we, when we hear the word anger. We think of hitting someone or screaming at someone, a person blowing a gasket and chucking something across the room. That's what we think of right away. But the Bible actually is mixed on anger. 
The Bible in Proverbs tells us in the message translation, it says, be careful, anger boomerangs. You can spot a fool by the lumps on his head. But at the same time, there are stories within the Bible where we understand anger to actually be something that is good. I know that sounds kind of, kind of odd when we think about that, but could anger ever be used for good? Could it be that God created within us anger to be released, not necessarily in a sinful way, but rather it would be a fire that motivates us to something good? Could our anger actually push us towards goodness instead of towards bad? Could that be? Could it happen? I mean, Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, be angry, but do not sin. It's almost like it it gives us an open door, a license to be angry. If you read that kind of slanted and holding it this way, it's kind of like it opens that door, like, is it okay? Is that, and as Christians, sometimes we go, I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with that. But it says be angry but do not sin. It's almost like it says that anger up to a certain point is actually beneficial in someone's life, but over a certain point when we allow it to to, uh, become sinful and and, and become uh, something that that, uh, runs out of control. We know that anger in the simplest form is not sin. Why is that? Because there were different times when Jesus was angry. Our Bibles tell us that, that Jesus was sinful, he was, or not sinful, excuse me, let's delete that, I'm backing up. We're going to admit that off the tape. Jesus was not sinful, he was sinless, that's what I was trying to say. Jesus was sinless, but yet the Bible says that there were times when he became angry. So we wonder, how, how does this play into our Christian life? How do we know when we cross the line and what that looks like? But guys, this morning, I want us to look together at a time when Jesus became angry and try and determine why God created such a volatile emotion inside of mankind and try and extract from God's Word what is the purpose of the anger that we sense inside of us at times. Would you take your Bibles? Are you interested in finding that out? Yeah. Let's go together. Let's turn to the book of Mark chapter 3 this morning. Mark chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. It'll be up on the screen. Or you can follow along in your Bible. Mark 3. Verse 1, and we're going to walk through. So just leave your Bibles open, uh, your electronic devices on. Just don't be checking Facebook or anything like that while we're going here. Mark chapter 3, verse 1, says this. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Jesus is going to church here, or his local assembling of believers or people, Christian people or religious people, I guess we could say. And Scripture tells us that he's done this again. This was a common occurrence for Jesus. He would go to the synagogue, and it was something that he went uh, on on a common 
time frame. Again, he was there. But then it says something very interesting. There was something different about this day. As Jesus entered the synagogue, there was a man in the midst of the group of people who had a withered hand or had a deformed hand. It was probably from birth that this man had this, that his hand was was unable to work correctly. It was weak or maybe it was shriveled a little bit. But I love how the The New Living Translation puts this. It says that Jesus noticed a man with a deformed hand. Isn't that amazing? That's just who who Jesus was. He had gone through the motions of, of going to the synagogue on a continual basis. Again he came, again he came, again he came. But today was something different. He noticed this person that was sitting there that that he noticed this man. Something stood out to him about this man. Jesus was the kind of guy that noticed, not looking down upon this man as many other people did in that culture, but Jesus with a genuine concern saw that this man in his current situation and Jesus couldn't sit idly by and do nothing, as our account tells us. Verse two, it says, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Now where were Jesus' enemies? (laughs) Uh-oh, careful now. They were in the synagogue, right? So since since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he would heal the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now we don't know, uh, commentators are kind of mixed on whether this man was actually allowed in the synagogue or not. We know in the temple, anyone that had any form of deformity that would not allow them to be normal, they were not allowed in the temple. Now the synagogue, they, they were kind of mixed on whether this person was allowed. Now, one of the things that we need to understand here is it's very possible that this man could have been a plant to catch Jesus. Much like the woman caught in the act of adultery, This man could have been planted in the synagogue that day in an attempt to to trap Jesus to prove that he was not what many people believed he was, which was the Messiah. But there was a plan in place, whether, he, whether this man was there on his own volition or they had planted him. There was a plan in place. You see, all of these Pharisees got together and they said, how can we trap Jesus? How can we catch him? How can we show everyone that he's sinful and he's not perfect and he's not the Messiah? How can we do this? So they put a plan in place. They said, well, the law tells us to keep the Sabbath holy and you shouldn't work on the Sabbath. So if Jesus, he's kind of like this healer, physician type guy. If Jesus actually makes this person well on the Sabbath, then we can catch him in the law. We can catch him and say, you're working on the Sabbath. So we see that this man with the shriveled hand became of great, became of of, of very minimal value to these people and was used as a bait to catch Jesus in a trap. Verse 3 says, Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. In our Wednesday night classes, we we have one class that's called Life Lessons. 
where we try and get in the shoes of characters in the Bible, where we try and feel the feelings that they were feeling in that moment. I want you this morning to get into the shoes of the man with the deformed hand in this moment right now. This man who, who uh, for years, people had ridiculed or said he wasn't good enough. Uh, they wouldn't allow him in certain areas where people said he was less than equal to others, that he was defective or broken. He may have been made fun of. He may have been called a sinner. Do you remember the time when the disciples even asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, for him to be born blind? See, in that culture, they believed that if you had some form of um, brokenness, that it immediately was because you were a sinner. So this man is sitting there kind of like he's he's in the church or in the synagogue and he's there kind of discreetly. He doesn't really want people to look. He's had the looks. He's had people wonder. He's had children point at him over the years and, and he really didn't want anyone to notice. And now Jesus is bringing him up in front of everyone. How are you feeling right now? You're thinking to yourself, probably, you know, this man, if, if, if I was this man, I would think if Jesus called to me, pointed me out, he said, please come up here, I probably in that moment I would slide my hand into my cloak a little bit more and I would walk up to the front so that no one would notice or maybe I would stand with my hands like this behind me so that the other people wouldn't notice because if no one would notice that I was different, then I'm equal with everyone else. How many times in our own lives do we hide our brokenness simply because we want to be equal and normal, just like everyone else? So this man walks up to the front. So he's put on display, basically. Maybe he's wondering to himself in this moment, as he's been called out, maybe Jesus will 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 say mean things about him and and, and say that he's unclean and sinful, or maybe he'll use me as a parable of some kind to, to catch the crowd's attention. But as he stands before the religious people, knowing that you are far from perfect, Jesus has you stand beside him, and he turns to the crowd, and he says this, verse four. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save a life or to destroy it? And no one answered him. As you stand there and Jesus asks these religious people if it's okay to do good on the Sabbath, is it okay to save someone's life or should we just look the other way and allow evil and destruction to continue? So they were caught up in their form of religion. They had stopped valuing this man for who he was in the sight of God. The love that was supposed to be shed abroad in our hearts when we know God And this man has used his bait to trap Jesus in this moment. These religious people in this moment were so far from the heart of God and they were blinded by their own religion. And this is how Jesus responds to them, verse five. 
It says he looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. Could it be that our anger that is infused inside of each of us was actually created for restoration rather than destruction? You can keep clapping. That was really good. And that wasn't even in my notes. Look at that, guys. Jesus, the, the Bible says in this moment, he, he looked at them angrily. This valuing religion over relationships, this valuing piety over people, this valuing tradition over transformation, the emotion that pushed to the forefront was not pity in this moment. It was pure anger. Anger because people would rather destroy this man than bring restoration and love to his life. And this angered the heart of God. Jesus gets angry. Jesus' eyes flash, flash with passion in this moment. No longer would religion hold people away from God. No longer would the Pharisees load people up with weights and never lift a finger to help them. Jesus, in this moment, his anger produces justness, rightness to the situation. I can no longer afford to just allow this to continue. The way people looked at this man and the action, something has to happen here. I can't turn a blind eye. He notices the man as he walks in and he says something has to be different in this situation. And in his anger, saddened, heartbroken by the hardness of the religious people's hearts, he says, stretch out your hand. It was made new. The brokenness, the, the one man that wanted to be normal in the room, the one man that just wanted, just wanted a chance to be like everybody else. In that moment, Jesus fixes his brokenness. Guys, Jesus was so frustrated with the hardness of these religious people's hearts. They thought that they were so close to God, but yet they didn't care. Wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it make sense, Jesus says, just to help someone rather than hurt them? Wouldn't it be better to save someone rather than destroy them? And I wonder so many times if our American Christianity blinds us And we forget the heart of God. That every person that walks the planet is a child of God. Created by him for his purpose. Just many of them are deceived and lost. Sheep without a shepherd. Yet many times we view those people as lost as the enemy 
when in reality we should be viewing them like Jesus does, as the prize. They are not the ones that we are fighting against. They are ones we are fighting for. Guys, I wonder sometimes if the way that we treat other people makes Jesus angry. When we look at someone who's struggling with addiction, do we sympathize with that person? Or or would we rather just simply watch them drown? When we see injustice in the world and, and we see something, rather than embracing the pain and the sickness that it causes our stomach, we like to put our hand this way and we like to go, you know what, I just don't know if I can deal with that right now. I think I'll just keep walking. It's a whole lot easier to just walk away from a situation than turn around and allow the emotion that God created for restoration, not for destruction, to fuel your passion for the things of God. Jesus got angry because of the hardness of people's hearts. Now, there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians that are angry. There's no doubt about it. But their anger is pointed towards groups of people. They're pointed towards politics. They're pointed towards the sin that they see in other people's lives. And many Christians just run around mad at the world. It's like their job. They're trying to do all of these things. But you know what, guys? If in trying to protect our religious liberties, we as the church become a stench in the nostrils of the world and our anger drives us towards hate, then we're the ones in the wrong. We're the ones that are sitting in the synagogue looking at the man with the deformed hand saying, we're better than you. If our passion or our righteous anger is hurting the gospel, then why did God create us, even as Christians, to be angry? It really doesn't make sense. Wouldn't that be one of the things that God would set us free from when, we, well, when all of a sudden a person gives their life to Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden they never become angry again? Wouldn't that be a great testimony to the gospel? How many have ever lost their testimony because they got angry? Ouch. Yeah, don't raise your hand. That's okay. <laughs> Why did God create us with anger? I believe, guys, it's because our anger is designed to motivate us to help, not to hurt other people. It is designed so that we can see injustice through the eyes of God and we would say that should not remain the same. We must do something. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope of our nation and of the world. St. Augustine said it this way, and this is where the two daughters come in. St. Augustine was quoted as saying this, hope has two beautiful daughters Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they do not remain 
the way that they are. Anger must cause us to help, not to get comfortable or religious, but realize what breaks the heart of God. Guys, what breaks the heart of God are not personal agendas or politics, or or what breaks the heart of God is people that rub shoulders with lost and dying people on a daily basis and turn a blind eye and do nothing. They would rather spit on them then share the love of Jesus with them. That breaks the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God. Jesus asked the religious people of the day, is this a day to save or is this a day to destroy? A modern parable of this, it says, on a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for themselves or their own safety, they went out day and night, tirelessly reaching, searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little life-saving station. It became so famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station. So they gave of their time and their money and their effort to support its work. New boats were bought, new crews were trained, and the life-saving station continued to grow. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided for the first refugees from the, that are saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots and the beds, and they put furniture in it, and they enlarged the building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as kind of a club. Fewer members were now interested on going into the sea and the life-saving missions. So they just hired lifeboat crews to do the work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club initiated people. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. They They brought them right into the beautiful club, and it was considered all messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built right outside of the club where the victims and the shipwrecks, uh, the victims of the shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Some of the members wanted to stop the life-saving activity altogether because it was unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as the primary purpose. They pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station, but they were finally voted down and told if they wanted to save lives of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast, which they did. As years went by, the new station experienced some changes That occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. A history continued, and history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit the coast today, 
you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, and most of the people drown. Does that make you angry? Can you equate the parable to where we are today? As an American church, there was a lady I was talking to just recently. She's a pastor of a church not in this state. But her church was growing. There were many people that were coming into the church and finding Jesus and one of the board members came up to her and said, Pastor, you know, this isn't a church that just allows anybody in. Unfortunately, that is much of the same heartbeat as the Pharisees that sat in the synagogue that day with the man with the withered hand. Now, guys, I'm not saying that that's where we're at, but if we are not careful, it can be where we end up. That our purpose would always be that our hearts would burn with passion towards those people that desperately need to know Jesus, that we would not get comfortable in our religion and in the going through the motions of church but that we would realize that the true purpose of our lives is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and that each person in this room carries a portion of that gospel everywhere that you go, that every person you come in contact with, that we would not look at them and and turn the other way, but that something would burn inside of our hearts when we see injustice in this world and we would say, this is not right. So what do we need to do as a church? Maybe we need to get angry I know that sounds really odd. You've probably the first time you've ever heard from a pulpit some pastors say that. Maybe we need to get angry. Maybe rather than just passively living our lives, maybe we should get angry at the fact that people are lost and dying all around us. Maybe we should get angry at the fact that substance abuse is destroying our families and our friends. Maybe we should get angry at the fact that each day we have coworkers that don't know Jesus Christ that are right next to us yet we've never made an effort to start a conversation about the most important thing in the entire universe, which is Jesus Christ. Anger not to hurt, but to help. Hope is found in Jesus Christ, but hope has two daughters, two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are, encouraged to see that they do not remain the way that they are. Can we close in prayer today? God, I pray that as a congregation this morning, 
that, God, we would see past the brokenness of those around us because we are all broken. That, God, you would give us a holy discontentment with where we are at spiritually, a holy discontentment with where we are at in our Christian walk, a holy discontentment to be quiet, to turn blind eyes away from hurting and desperate people. God, may it never be said of us that when we heard the cries of the drowning, we just went into our club and had a good time but that we would be known as a church, as a body of believers, as people that would run to the cries of the desperate and the destitute and the brokenhearted, and that anger would fuel our hearts, that God's passion would not allow us to walk past, but would cause us to help heal, to bring restoration rather than destruction everywhere that we go. And we pray these things in the most powerful name in all the universe, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you guys this morning.